Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. And, um, you know, this is uh, Heart for the House Sunday, and so it is kind of a culmination. We've been talking about this for weeks and weeks. Uh, this is the last time you're going to hear us talk about it for a long while, uh, that we're asking everyone who calls Peak City home to consider uh, making a monthly financial gift to the church so we can keep growing and keep seeing the life change that I just shared with you keep happening, right? We're at a very, I got to tell you, like, I'm going to be fully transparent with you, and this isn't the whole sermon. This is a small section of it. Um, we're at a very interesting point in the life of our church where I can tell you stories like what I just told you um, till four in the afternoon today. And our, our growth and the stories of life change are just increasing, increasing, increasing. But they are outpacing the growth of our financial giving. Right? And that's just real talk as a church. We are, uh, we are abnormal, above average in terms of life change and growth and all that. We are average in terms of uh, how we're doing as a church financially. Uh, the average church, only 20 to 25% of the people that call that church home give financially. And that's about where we are. 20 to 25% of the people that call this place home really financially support the entire church. And, and I just know that what God is calling us to, we got big dreams, big visions for what he wants us to do. And uh, it's not going to happen if we don't all come together collectively and sacrifice. You know, um, last August, I laid out a vision for our church that we would be debt free by the end of 2025 so that we could give more money away and bless more people and serve the community like never before. And we're not going to wait until the end of 2025 to bless people and to give money away, right? We're going to start doing that. In fact, this August, I'm going to lay out a vision for you and, a, and, a, and a, um, an initiative that is going to bring all of us together to go out and impact the community like never before. So buckle up for August. Uh, but if we're going to accomplish this big, big goal, this big dream of growing into the church that God wants for us, it will require all of us coming together and giving sacrificially. All right, so I want you, I, I put a deadline on it. It's a fake deadline. I, I mean, what is it anyways? But like, I just feel like all, all important action steps need a deadline, right? So today is the deadline on it. I'm asking you, if you call this place home, if you come every so often, if, if someone asks you in the community, where do you go to church? And you say Peak City? I want you to pray about by the end of the night, um, making a commitment to what you're going to be giving financially so that we can keep growing together. Let's have a heart for the house. Sound good? If you have a Bible, get to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is where we're going to be. Um, it's so funny. Um, I didn't plan this out. Probably should have. But I didn't plan this Sunday out with a ton of like intentionality. Other than we're going to celebrate life change. And then we're going to keep going through the book of Acts. We've been in Acts for almost two months now. Just talking about what the movement of Jesus is really all about. Right? It, the, the movement's gotten kind of sideways. People don't really understand what the movement is because there's some churches that are kind of crazy and some Christians that are kind of crazy. And we're just trying to get back to the roots. The earliest followers of Jesus, their acts, the acts of the earliest followers of Jesus. What did they do? And how can we model our church after them? And so we're, we're learning about what the movement of Jesus is all about. And today, it's so fitting that where we are next in the text, on Heart for the House Sunday, when we're talking about collectively making sacrifices... We're in Acts chapter 7, and in Acts chapter 7, we are talking about nothing but sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. I'm super sorry. Like, if you're here for the first time, I'm like, man, I really hope you get another chance, because I don't have, like, honestly, I don't have, like, a ton of, like, lighthearted, pithy illustrations today. <laughs> it's just, we're coming in hot, okay? Um, 
I got a few, but not a lot. But man, I, I, I can't help but read sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice all over Acts chapter 7. And that's why the title of my message today is that the movement requires sacrifice. Like if you're, if you're going to experience the movement the way that Jesus wants you to, if you're going to experience the church, if our church is going to reach its full potential, it'll only happen through sacrifice. More, more than just like church-wide initiatives, let me step into like your faith. For you to experience the life that God wants for you, it will require sacrifice. That if you're experiencing a powerless version of Christianity, if you feel like you believe in God, but you don't really feel any of the power that we talk about, you don't feel like it's the, the, the abundant life, the good life, it's probably because you're not making any sacrifices. That's where the power comes from. See, it's like, it's like my kids, when, 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 when my kids ask me if they can play in my Jeep, right? I let them in the garage, like, Dad, can we get your Jeep and, and drive? I'm like, you can get my Jeep and play around, but I ain't giving you the keys, right? I'm not an animal. But they'll get in there and they'll act like they're driving, right? They're like, you know, like uh, move the steering wheel, they'll put the foot on the gas, they'll honk the horn. But they're just playing around, right? They're just playing around. But when my oldest son, Emmett, when he gets to be 16 and I give him the keys to the Jeep, right? When I say, hey, here's, son, here's your car that I've had for years and now you can take it and drive it. He's going to have a totally different experience, right? Once he turns that key in the ignition, he feels the power of the Jeep. It feels the rough ride. And like, you know, you know, you drive a Jeep, like you can't talk straight like, uh, at all times. It's like one of the worst parts of owning a Jeep is the rough ride. <laughs> like you're on a completely smooth highway and you can't carry in a conversation without sounding like a cartoon. It's going to be a different deal when he feels the power of that thing. See, I'm praying today that some of you see that maybe the reason that Christianity has not felt the same for you as it's felt for other people is because you've not had the power that comes through sacrifice. And that maybe today you might experience it for the very first time. All right, Acts chapter 7, we start in verse 54. And I'm telling you, we're jumping into the deep end because we're jumping into one of the darkest moments in the movement. All right, it's the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, the first man that had to give up his life for the sake of the movement. Stephen was a, Stephen was a normal dude, an, an, an average dude, but he just started preaching about Jesus. He didn't have a platform, he didn't have a social media following, he just loved Jesus and started telling people about Jesus, and it made the religious leaders of the day mad. And, and they arrested him, they started beating him, and they wanted to, to end his preaching ministry, really wanted to end the movement, and they take extreme measures to do so, starting in verse 54. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. When they heard him preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus, they were furious, furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. See, when you, when you make sacrifice, you actually see God with greater clarity. You see it more clearly when you give up things you love for things you love even more. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, began to murder him, began to execute him in broad daylight. Meanwhile, the, the, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll talk about him in a couple weeks. While they were stoning him, while they were killing him, while they were executing him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. <clears throat> it's impossible to overstate how, in, how big of a moment this is for the movement. It's impossible to overstate it. It's the first time that an ordinary person had to sacrifice their life for the sake of their faith. Jesus had done it before, right? Like up to this point, Jesus had to die. He was crucified and, and that's great, but it was, it was Jesus. This is the first time that an everyday ordinary man had to sacrifice, had to give up his life for the sake of the movement. And it wasn't supposed to go like this. Right, because Stephen is doing nothing different than what Peter has done all throughout the first six chapters of Acts. He's preaching about Jesus. <laughs> See, Peter preached about Jesus and he got arrested, but then he was miraculously freed from prison, right? God spared his life, it all went good for him. Stephen does the exact same thing, but gets different results. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you do the same thing that someone else does, but the, like, the, the ship goes a different direction? You know, like you get, you get on Instagram and you're like, man, we, we did the same things. We got married about the same time they got married, but they got like the Instagram marriage and we got the like, we're in counseling and can't figure out how to communicate marriage. It's like, we had kids at the same time they did and their kids look like they're awesome and our kids are, mm. what do we do? Like how'd that happen, right? We got the same school, college at the same time, same type of university, but they're making a bunch of money. And I'm like, what, where did my money go? Same actions different results. I think the devil, the devil had us pegged right here. I think when Stephen is being executed, when Stephen is having to sacrifice his life, I think he thought the movement would end right here. I think he thought it was over. If he can get all the Christians to see that Stephen did the same thing that Peter did, Stephen's so passionate about Jesus, but it cost him his life. He thought he could end the movement, right? He thought he had us beat. He thought if we see a man murdered for his faith, we'll never believe in Jesus anymore. We'll abandon him immediately. But we sing a song around here. We sing a song around here all the time that says, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Right, I'm not gonna sing it for you, that's, that's the band. I'll make sure my mic is off when I'm sitting out here. We sing it, but do we believe it? Like, do you believe that that God can take what the enemy meant for evil and he can turn it for good. You can sing it, but man, do you believe it? I wanna show you why you should believe it because what, what the enemy meant to end the movement, what the enemy meant to scare all of us away from Christianity, God took it and he actually used it to build the movement. He actually used it to solidify the movement. He, he used the sacrifice of Stephen to, to fuel the movement like never before. You see, when Stephen sacrificed his very life, you gotta understand, it made some, some foundational truths of the faith that, that were all, quite frankly, pie-in-the-sky beliefs, right? There were beliefs that we all, we all preached them, we all talked about them, but no one really believed them. Stephen took these pie-in-the-sky truths of the faith, and through his sacrifice, he made them real. See, like, it was when Stephen went through death and it was when Stephen looked at those who murdered him and said, Lord, don't hold their sins against them. It was in that moment that this truth of the faith became so real for every single one of us. This truth that forgiveness has no limits. Forgiveness has no limits. 
There is no way you could offend me that I cannot forgive you. There's nothing you could do to betray me that I cannot forgive you. There's nothing you could do to hurt me or harm me that I cannot find. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, but through the power and the spirit of Jesus in me, through the love I have received from him, I can forgive you. You can forgive anyone of anything. Forgiveness has no limits. Stephen was murdered and in the middle of his murder, he looks at the guys that are murdering him and says, Lord, don't hold this against them. Forgive them, forgive them. And it made this truth so real, so tangible. You see, Jesus preached forgiveness all the time, right? Jesus would get up on the cross, stretch his arms out, die on the cross so that we could be forgiven and free. And that's great for Jesus, right? But he's God. God can forgive anything, absolutely. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I expect you to forgive others like I have forgiven others. No one believed they could do it until they saw Stephen do it. It was the sacrifice of an ordinary man that proved to the followers of Jesus that this is not a pie in the sky theory. This is a way of life. This is a value we can live out. We can, forgiveness has no limits. I'm telling you from this moment on, the movement was never the same again. You see for the next 100, 200 years in the history of Christianity that it was filled, it was fueled by people who were spreading the gospel, who were spreading the love of Jesus and they were being persecuted. Don't you, don't you let anybody tell you that you're persecuted as a Christian in America. If somebody tells you you're persecuted as a Christian, hand them a history book. We'll show you what persecution looks like. No, no. Persecution of Christians in America is not a thing. Unpopularity of Christians in America, that's a thing. But persecution, no, 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 no. For the next 200 years, we see the movement persecuted, persecuted, persecuted. But the, the response of the followers of Jesus was just love and forgiveness and grace. You see, I think the devil thought in this moment that he could turn our movement against the world. I think he thought once they see actual humans murdering a Christian, they will turn and they will hate the world. He thought that he could convince us that our battle was against flesh and blood, against those who despise us. You see, that's, probably, that's part of the problem with, with our churches today and, and our movement is that we have vilified people we think that people are the problem. We think that people are the enemy, but we see all over the New Testament that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual battle. You can hate me, I don't hate you. I hate the evil that's at work within you. There's a big difference. And we see this, we see this made real and it's, it's, been, it's been changing the movement ever since. You see it all the time. You know, it's, it's hard to keep up with all the evil in our world today. It's hard to keep up with how many mass shootings we've seen in our world over the past several years. But if you remember back in 2015, there was a, a shooting in, of a, a church in Charleston, North Carolina, uh, Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church where Dylan Roof took the lives of nine church members. But in the court hearing, the family members of the victims who were all followers of Jesus, family members of those who were shot and killed by a man inside of a church, the family members all began making statements in the court to him, to his face. And they weren't statements of revenge and retribution. They were statements of forgiveness. Ethel Lance, who was one of the people killed in the church that day, her daughter took, took the stand and, and looked him right in the eyes and said, you took something very precious away from me and I'll never be able to hold my mom's hand again. I'll never be able to talk to her again, but I want you to know, and she looked him right in the eyes, I want you to know that I forgive you. Forgiveness has no limits. It has no limits. 
And some of you need to hear it today, not, not that you can forgive someone else. Some of you need to hear it today for you. There's nothing you have done. There is no regret you're carrying. There is no shame you have on your shoulders right now that God cannot forgive. Because what Jesus has done for us on the cross, forgiveness can be yours right here, right now. Is there anybody grateful that your worst mistakes are not held against you? Is there anybody grateful that the grace of God covers everything you've ever done wrong? It's unbelievable. And that Jesus preached it. But it was when Stephen made a sacrifice that it became real. I still think the enemy thought he had us beat though. I still think the devil thought he had us beat. Even after he forgave, right? Even after Stephen made this statement of forgiveness, I still think the devil's like, all right, you, you drop a couple threes on me in the fourth quarter. All right, but I still got you, right? I still got you. Because Stephen's about to die, right? I just know he, the enemy was thinking, once they see him dead, they will scatter. Once they see that it's not just Jesus that has to die, that it might be you and it might be me that has to die, this movement will be over, right? I think, I, I, I think the devil thought he had us beat, but God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good. That through Stephen's willingness to face death with courage, with confidence, with peace. When they saw Stephen face death the same way Jesus did, it proved to them, it proved to them, it made it so real, this pie in the sky truth that everyone preached, but no one really believed, but it made it real to them that while forgiveness has no limits, death has no power. None, it has no power. Jesus preached like this all the time. Jesus was never afraid of death. He was like, death, whatever, no big deal, right? But that's Jesus. I mean, it's God in the flesh. Of course he acts like death is no big deal. He exists outside of time and he created, of course he can face death with courage, right? That's like, that's like you know, us looking at a dunk contest. How many of y'all love the NBA dunk contest? Nobody, because nobody watches it anymore. <laughs> I still love it. I always laugh at the, at, at, at the dunk contest because it's like, average dads sitting around critiquing dunks. It's like, I don't know, he just jumped over a car. Is it that big of a deal? It's like a 360 Tomahawk windmill. I don't know. Dominique did it better back in the day. It's like, but, but like we critique these guys, but we got like, they're in a different stratosphere than us, right? It's not even relatable. These guys can jump out the gym and we're just us. So like we evaluate these guys on a different plane. I think that's how the enemy thought that the followers of Jesus would be, is that Jesus, he can, he can face death with courage. Yeah, but he's God. He's a superhero. <laughs> but it wasn't until Stephen, an ordinary man, faced death with the same courage and the same confidence that it became real, that death has no power. Stephen made death look silly. He made it look silly. It was like, no big deal. It's like, they're murdering me. I, I don't know, God, hey, don't hold their sins against them. They're not that bad. <laughs> he made it look silly. Did you see, did you catch the word? They don't even call death the same thing after this. It's not that Stephen died. It's that he what? He fell asleep. <laughs> He's like, he didn't die. My man's taking a nap. It's just a little Sunday afternoon nap. He's gonna wake up from that nap on the other side of eternity with Jesus. Death has no power in your life. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, from this moment, it became like instilled into the movement of Jesus. It became instilled.
instilled into his followers that death is not to be feared. That's why you see for the next several hundred years that Christians were freely giving up their lives for the sake of the movement and they, they weren't bothered by it. And I see it happening today still. I see it happening with my man, Pete. Pete, maybe you know Pete, he's an amazing man, amazing family in our church. Pete was diagnosed with stage four cancer last year, a deathly diagnosis. You know what I saw him doing this morning? He was here before anybody, here before 95% of the people. He was sitting in one of the couches out there, <clears throat> talking to another guy in our church, pouring into him, sharing his experiences, sharing his wisdom, sharing his encouragement, building up the church. He's dying and he doesn't care because he knows it's not the end. It's not that he doesn't have bad days. It's not that he doesn't have weak moments. It's not that he doesn't you know, feel sorry for himself at times, but the overwhelming conviction of his life is that death has no power. Death is not the end. So what does he do after he gets his diagnosis? He stands up and he goes back to work. He goes back to building the church. He loves his daughters well. He loves his wife, his, his, his wife well because death has no power. Death is not, for, for the Christian, that's why we don't call them funerals. Most Christians call them what? Celebration of life services. I'm telling you, man, when you start following Jesus, death just hits different. It ain't the same. It's, it's not that we don't grieve, we just don't grieve like those who have no hope, right? It, it's just different because you've seen, you've seen, you've seen that Jesus conquered death, but then we saw Stephen face death with the same courage and conviction and it made the faith real. I know what you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking, I, I, I know it. You're like, that's great for Stephen. But none of us, like we talk about sacrifice, none of us, our lives are not in danger, <laughs> right? What are we gonna sacrifice for the movement? I mean, like, like Stephen did that, but yeah, like th those were desperate times, call for desperate measures. I want you to see the principle. The principle is so much bigger than, 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 than Stephen in this. It's a, it's, a, it's a principle we can all kind of wrap our heads around, right? Stephen's sacrifice made the faith real for people who were watching. Stephen's sacrifice made the faith real for other followers of Jesus. Let me tell you, there are people who are watching you. And the faith, the things you hold dear, the things you believe, no one will buy into them until they see you sacrifice. The things you hold dear, the things you believe with all of your heart, until people see that it costs you something, they, they want nothing to do with it. They're out, right? You know, your, your, your coworkers that hear that you're a follower of Jesus, they hear that you're a Christian, and they hear that Christians believe that, that everyone is an image bearer of God. We're big on, you know, pro-life, sanctity of life, the, the dignity of every human life, that everyone bears the image of God. But you know when they're gonna actually see that being real is when you're willing to risk your reputation over lunch to end gossip in your workplace. When they're talking bad about that other coworker, you say, uh-uh-uh-uh, hold up, hold up, hold up. They're actually a good person, and I don't think you'd say that to their face. Why don't you stop that? And you make it weird, and you risk relationship, and you risk them accepting you, and you risk your reputation. That's when they'll believe that you truly think everyone bears the image of God. It's sacrifice that proves the validity of your beliefs. If you're, if you're, if you're married right now, we believe... Right? We believe that the marriage relationship is the most important relationship that you could have on this earth because it reflects the relationship that, we, that, that Jesus has with the church. You love your spouse well, it reflects Jesus loving us well. 
Everyone knows that marriage is a big deal to Christians, but until people see that you actually lay down your wants and your needs and your desires for the sake of your spouse, it's not real to them. It's when they see that it costs you something. It's when they see that it, that it hurts. It's when they see you sacrificing for the movement. See, sacrifice, it, it proves the validity of your beliefs. And, and I know it's gonna hurt. I know it's a gut punch. It was a gut punch to me when I was writing it. But we have to follow the logical dominoes here. If sacrifice is what makes faith real to other people, then it also follows that your faith is only real if it costs you something. Your faith is only real if it costs you something. If you believe something, but every time it hurts, you run away. <laughs> if every time it gets convenience, you back out, then you gotta ask yourself, do you really believe it? It's the ultimate litmus test. It's the ultimate pressure cooker of your values and your beliefs is when you have to sacrifice. My son, my son Emmett told me the other day, he's like, dad, I wanna make some more money. He's 10. I just gave, we, we just recently started him on chores. And so we got chores. And then if you do the chores, you get the, the allowance. And he's like, dad, I'm doing the chores. I'm making the money. Can I, can I do more chores and make more money? I'm like, no, you can do more, cho more chores and make the same money. I ain't spoiling you, man. In fact, we're up in your chores right now. If you get this kind of margin in your life, sounds like you're not working hard enough. More chores. But I was like, hey, if you, if you wanna make money, I got an idea for you. Let's, let's, have, let's together, we can start a business together for you. He was like, really, I could do that? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, well, what kind of business would we start? I was like, well, think about your chores. Think about what's the chore that you hate the most. He's like, oh, that's easy, picking up dog poop in the backyard. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also everyone else's least favorite chore. <laughs> so, son, you need to learn. I'm trying to teach my boy some things. You need to learn if you don't make money in this world, you gotta solve people's problems. <laughs> so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna make you a little flyer. We'll prepare you a little speech. You can go door to door in our neighborhood, call it Emmett's Poop Scoop Business. <laughs> Emmett's Poop Scoop. And I was like, and that, I'm telling you, they're gonna be some, they're gonna, uh, and we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're gonna value your time, buddy. We're gonna charge $15 a yard per week. And people might not pay it, but somebody will. Value your time. Some retiree is gonna be like, this is the cutest little Mark Cuban thing I've ever seen, right? This is like mini Shark Tank going on here. And I was like, buddy, if you get 10 people to pay you 15 bucks a week for poop scoop in their yard, that's 150 bucks a week. That's nearly $7,000 in a year. He was like, I'll be rich. <laughs> then I took it too far. Right? I, I, I was dadding so hard, man. I, I took it too far. I was like, but here's the deal, son. When you make all that money, don't spend it on yourself. Don't spend it on video games. Don't spend, no, no, no. What you need to do is you need to invest that money in high yield dividend stocks. <laughs> and you're gonna create some passive income. You do that for 10 years, by the time you're in college, you have a thousand months, a, 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 a thousand bucks passive income coming to you. He was like, dad, I, I, I don't understand anything you just said. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't help it, man. Tried to, tried to teach him. Then the next day he comes to me and he's like, I can tell you've been thinking about it. He's like, dad, I, I, I think I've changed my mind. I, I don't think I wanna do this business. And I was like, why not? He was like, I mean, that's, that's, that's like some work. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I don't, I don't really like picking up poop. I'm like, I know. He's like, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's gonna take me too much time. I think it's just gonna, I, I think it's too much. I just don't wanna do it. I'm like, all right, that's fine. He's like, but I still wanna make money. He's like, but I don't wanna do the work. And I said, well, son, then you don't really wanna make money. Right? It's when it costs you something 
It's when sacrifice comes to you that it pressure cooks. It, it's, it's the litmus test for your values. What do you really believe? You'll know when it costs you something. You'll know if you really believe it. And I believe with all of my heart, all of my heart, that this is what is holding so many churches back in our country, what's holding so many churches back in our, in our areas, that there are churches that are so full of people who say they believe in Jesus, but they have stopped sacrificing anything for him. They're not, when it, when it gets tough, they out. When it costs them something, they're gone. When it doesn't fit into their convenience, back away. And so no wonder, right? No wonder our, some churches feel lifeless and powerless. No wonder we don't see life change because nobody's giving anything up. Nobody's sacrificing anything. I think this is why so many of you may be in the room, and I know I've been there at times, that you feel like you're doing all the things you should do, right? You're coming to church, you know, you're not cussing, you're not getting drunk all the time. Uh, you're doing all the basic things that Christians do, but you don't feel any of the power. You don't feel like it's the life to the full that Jesus said you should experience. It, it doesn't feel like abundant life, the, like, like Jesus wants more for you than you could ever want for yourself. It don't feel like that. It's probably because you are not sacrificing anything. That the minute it gets hard, you're giving up. The minute it gets difficult, you're giving up. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Jesus is most at home. He is most present and active in the midst of sacrifice. If you wanna know why you don't feel the presence of God in your daily life, it's probably because you're not sacrificing anything because Jesus is not really at home in convenience. Jesus is not really at home in comfort. He's at home in, in sacrifice. This is why Romans 5.8 would say that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates it. God doesn't just preach his love. He doesn't just speak his love. He proves his love through what? Sacrifice. Jesus is most at home. He is most comfortable. He is most free and able to work when you are making sacrifices, when you are giving up things you love for things you love even more. And, and, and I believe it for our church. Like some of y'all, <laughs> some of y'all need to understand the reason that this church, and I say this in, um, in response to what you've told me, not in arrogant self-proclamation, the reason that you feel the spirit of God alive and active in this room, the reason you've been so blessed, some of you've been here for about a year or less because we just opened this building up about a year ago. The reason you feel so blessed by what's going on here the reason you sense God's spirit all over the place and we're seeing life change, you need to know it's because ordinary men and women have made sacrifices to build this house for the past 15 years. You are standing in the sacrifice of ordinary men and women who have gone before you. God is here because of their sacrifice. God is showing up because of his sacrifice. I, God was whispering this to me as I was preparing this message and it was for me first and maybe it's for you. But I feel like he was saying, Petey, I gave up everything for you, but yet you're not giving up things for me. So don't expect me to show up. I gave up everything for you. You're not giving up anything for me. Don't expect me to show up. And that's why God shows up here is because of the sacrifices of ordinary men and women who have built and built and they gave and they served and they grind it out because the kingdom matters. And they're ordinary people. 
That's why, that's why I love how God has just weaved this together. Like hearing Josh and Wendy's story and knowing some of your other stories, like normal, ordinary people. Stephen was a normal, ordinary dude. There wasn't nothing abnormal about Stephen. He had no status. We know nothing about Stephen outside of this story. He had no status as a celebrity pastor. He had no Instagram following. He was a, he was a nobody just out there telling people about Jesus. And it was through the sacrifice of an ordinary man that the movement was changed. The movement was fueled like never before. And that's what has happened here. I got a, I got a list of names of people that have sacrificed to build this house, who have given their time and their money and their energy. And you sit in the midst of it right now and I'm gonna rattle them all off. And I know I'm not gonna be able to rattle them all off. There's more than even this list can hold. And I don't have enough breath for all of it, but people like the Reicherts, the Bucers, the Fishers, the Vots, the Bernies, the Tempests, the Duns, Ruth, the Bears, the Enochs, the Reeds, Arnolds, Ottos, Williams, Edwards, Harveys, Heinrichs, Cranes, Shears, Freers, Brady, the Wilsons, the Perkins, the Samarans, the Mancinis, the Youngs, the Jones, the Stricklands, the Venturises, the Stonebacks, the, the Chungs, the Closses, the Drinkwaters, the Simmons, the Wimbushes, the Crumlins, the Robertsons, the Nichols, the Glazes, the Parkers, the Darks, the Fosters, the Daniels, the Mullises, the, the, the Vijayams, the Elders, the Finns, the Garzas, the Cruises, the Tomerlins, the Crumleys, the Cooks, the Flaherties, the Redfields, the Bassets, the Gallegoses, Carly, the Coles, the Kloskins, the Dillies, the Swansons, the Robertsons, the Snows, the Shunks, the Galliards, Carmen, the Smiths, the Cadurers, the St. Aubins, the Neelys, the Nielsens, the Byams, the Williams, the Binkins, the Mullicans, the Dixons, the McCoys, St. Aubins, the, 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 the Breathowers, the Welshes, the uh, uh, Jacob, the Millers, the Revises, the Warrens, the Purposes, the Rangels, the Gobins, Mark, the Clearies, Ernst, Ty, the Kinks, Bullards, Kinders, Susan, Mariah, the Walkers, Fred, Hobsons, the Dyers, Lynn, Jared, the Daisies. I could keep going. I just asked a few of the OGs of this church to be around for a long time. I was like, hey, shoot me some names. And within 30 minutes, I had an encyclopedia. <laughs> Ordinary men and women who made sacrifices. And when you make sacrifices in your life, God shows up. And so the question you gotta ask yourself coming out of this is a deeply personal question. It's a question I'm asking myself is, what is God asking me to sacrifice? What is God asking you to sacrifice. And it might not even be, be about church. Maybe he's asking you to sacrifice comfort by going and having a really hard conversation with someone that you need to reconcile with. Maybe he's asking you to sacrifice your control and your comfort and finally step into that thing that you know you're supposed to do, but you don't know how it's gonna go. And you're gonna make a sacrifice. Maybe you need to step out of your comfort zone and start engaging with some of your neighbors and building some relationships and sacrificing of the time that you don't feel like you have. Maybe you need to do something that proves to your neighbors. It's more than talk. It proves to them that people matter. It makes it real. It makes it real. For some of you, maybe it is serving here at church. We got all kinds of teams you can serve on. You can find those on our website. Maybe some of you, it's financial giving. Maybe God's calling you to start sacrificing more than you ever have before. And whatever it is, that's between you and God. I got nothing to do with that. I'm just praying big for it. I'm praying big for it because, because uh, I got big, I got big dreams and big visions of what God could do here and what he's gonna do in, in us and in our church. I got big dreams, I got big visions of what God can do. But I also am fully aware that my big dreams and my vision for what God can do here may never happen. I'm okay with that, kind of. I'm growing to be okay with it. The reason I know it may never happen here is because it's not all on me. 
I can stand up here and preach. I can stand up here and I can do, I can do my part. I can sacrifice, I can give, right? Like my wife and I are not asking you guys to give financially and we're not giving financially. We're like, we're gonna do everything we're asking you. I, I'll, I'll keep my heart right before God. I'll stay honest in front of you guys. I'll do everything I can. But building a world changing city, changing church, it takes a whole bunch of people coming together and saying, God, I choose to sacrifice for the greater good. I choose to give up things I love for things I love even more. And that's not on me. What's on me is what, what God's asking me to sacrifice. It's on all of us together answering that question and saying yes to Jesus. And I'm just telling you, if you would say yes to it, whatever he's asking you to do, if you'd say yes to it, you would find joy on the other side of that sacrifice. You would find life change on the other side of that sacrifice. You'd find what Jesus found, right? When Jesus stretched his arms out and he died on the cross, it said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. On the other side of his greatest sacrifice was joy. I'm praying that for you today. And I wanna give you a chance to make that decision before God, just you and him. So would you stand with me to your feet? We do this every week as a private moment between you and him. It's where we believe all life change begins. So would you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. If you know that Jesus is calling you to give up something, whether it's your time, whether it's your resources, whether it's your energy, your comfort, if you know, you know, the Spirit of God speaks so clearly to us as we just think and we process. If you know He's calling you to make a sacrifice today and you know what it is, and you're ready to tell God that you'll do it. You're ready to say yes to whatever it is that he's asking you to sacrifice. If that's you, as a private decision between you and God, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Hands up all over the room, that's beautiful. That's amazing, that's amazing. Let's pray and let's thank God for what he's doing here. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, thank you that, um, that we don't have to muster up the strength to sacrifice on our own, that your spirit inside of us can grow this. So God, I'm, I'm opening up my heart and my mind. I'm opening up the minds and the heart of our church right now. God, we come before you and we say, please do this in us, God. Turn our hearts towards you and give us the ability to give up what we love for what we love even more. Give us the ability to sacrifice. God, give us the, the steadfastness to not walk away when it gets hard, to not back away when it gets uncomfortable, but to lean in knowing that that's where you show up. That's where your presence is felt. That's where life change happens is in the midst of sacrifice. God, give us that confidence and that courage. And God, I'm praying that we see victory, that we see a whole new group of people added to the list of those who have sacrificed to build this house. And that we can all together just enjoy the goodness of seeing life change and seeing your church built. God, we know it's gonna happen. We know you want it more than we do, but we ask you right now to do it inside of us, God. Give us the same spirit that was in Jesus on the cross, the same spirit that was in Stephen in that pit. God, give us that spirit that will stop at nothing to see your kingdom come in this world. And God, we pray that with confidence. We pray it with courage. We know you'll do it. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus together.
Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.